0: Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Thank you, Jamardi, for that beautiful reading um, in, in Spanish and English. Um, Jamari said to me at the beginning of the service, this passage is a wake-up call. (laughs) And it is, isn't it? Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. Deny yourself. Your soul's at stake. I want to look at Psalm 16 this morning to help us see how Jesus' words are an invitation, yes, to suffering and taking up the cross, but but to life and to refuge, that there is a refuge in the cross of Jesus. We said on Ash Wednesday that there's a refuge in returning to the Lord and saying he is the one we need. There's a refuge in being with Jesus in those wilderness places and seeing his example that all he needs is the word of the Lord, every mouth from the word of God even when he's tired, even when he's exhausted, even when he's tempted. And we want to see now that taking up the cross of Jesus is coming close to Jesus where there is refuge. Turn with me to Psalm 16. Some of the verses are there in your bulletin, but um, the rest of them you'll find in your, in your Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn to, to Psalm 16 with me. In this psalm, we see that in the refuge of the Lord, there's provision, there's guidance for the way of the Lord, and there's safety in the Lord. Verse 5, this is the heart of the passage here at the center. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. My boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. These are, these are symbols and images of the Lord's provision for us, a, a cup Think about Psalm 23, the cup that overflows with everything we need. And a cup in the ancient world, you would share it with a guest. You would share it with somebody else. It was a common cup like we like to do in other seasons with our communion. It's a relational reality. What's mine is yours. And so the psalmist is talking about inheritance here, which for the people of Israel was both a metaphor of the blessings of the Lord and the provision of the Lord, but also a reality. God had given them a land that had been divided up, their their lines and their their places and their boundaries. Bonnie, could you hand me that large piece of paper? I brought this today, maybe some of you have this, but when we bought our home, they gave us this. It is the plat of survey. I don't know why it's called a plat, not a plot. But this is our, our, our house. These are the boundary lines of our home. And uh, I didn't, didn't realize when I first saw this that there's over 300 square feet of sidewalks to shovel, but there it is. These are our, our boundary lines and they've provided so much for our family, and we're, we're so grateful. And the psalmist in this passage, even as he asks God for refuge, he gives thanks that in the refuge of the Lord, there's provision of everything that he needs. Amen. He'll go on to say, there is no good apart from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights, the Apostle James would later say. There's no good thing apart from the Lord. Nothing good that you have. It's all from the Lord. And then he'll end this passage. Eduardo read this. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at the right hand. The inheritance we have of the Lord is the Lord himself, who is good and full of joy. In the refuge of the Lord, there is provision. In the refuge of the Lord, there is guidance. There is the way of the Lord. Verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. He has chosen who he will follow. He knows who his leader is, who his example is. There are lots of places that he could go, lots of people that he could follow. And he says, but you, Lord, you I will follow. He goes on in verse 4 to talk about other people who follow other ways and other gods. Verse 4, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. We all have sorrow, we all have suffering and following other ways make that sorrow compound and grow. He says, I will not pour out libations. Libations are an offering, a sacrifice, a blood offering, Uh, could be an animal which is part of your livelihood, part of your wealth. Part of your job it could be a child if it's talking about other nations and the idea is that we make this sacrifice to the God that we're following the leader we're following and then what they've promised us we'll get if we follow their way we'll get their goods that sounds so crude in the ancient world but isn't it just as crude today look a certain way and you will be loved or admired, Make money and you won't have to worry. Say or do certain things and people around you will accept you. Make your offering. Get what is promised. He says, I will not take their name, the name of these other gods, on my lips. I won't be identified by it. Speaking that name, saying that name is a way of saying, I belong to them. And he's saying, I won't. I won't put my hope and trust in them. I won't follow them. I won't run after other gods or leaders or influencers or teachers or politicians, writers or friends. I won't run after gods of happiness or self-fulfillment or ease or security. But no, verse seven, I will turn to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He instructs me at night. He counsels me. He's gonna show me the way. So I keep my eyes on him, the psalmist says. Lent and this morning, it's another opportunity to take our eyes off of the things of the world, off of all of these other ways, off of all of these other things that promise us safety and guidance and refuge and to put them again and fix them again on Jesus. This is part of what Jesus says to Peter In our gospel reading, he says, You've got the things of man on your mind, not the things of God. Jesus had just told Peter and the other disciples what the way of the Lord looked like for Jesus. Being rejected by all the leaders of the day, being shamed publicly, suffering and being killed. And if that's what the way was for Jesus, then that's probably what would be happening to all of the disciples, too. And Peter says, no, I don't like that uh, strategy. I don't like that uh, strategic operational plan. Um, Let's not do that. Actually, I have a strategy. I've got a much better plan for how our influence can grow. I call it the Peter way. Why don't you follow that way, Jesus? And Peter says, Satan the word for the adversary the one who stands in the way of he goes Peter get behind me you're following me don't stand in the way I'm trying to lead you you follow me and we all do this to Jesus I'd love to follow you Jesus and I have a great plan for where you can lead me I'd love to follow you, Jesus, and I'd like you to lead me into this job or career. I'd like you to lead me to this kind of spouse or this level of comfort or security. I'd love to follow you, Jesus, as long as you're taking me where I want to go. Peter's choosing his own way here. He's running after other ways, as the psalmist had said. But he's also choosing who he wants to stay in relationship with. He's choosing whose name will be on his lips, who he wants to identify with. With all of the different um, shame and honor words that are used in this Mark passage, it seems like part of Peter's motivation is he doesn't want to be rejected by those leaders of the day and by the the cultural power of the day. And to to be rejected by them would be um, to be shamed and dishonored by his own people. And so part of what Jesus is saying is, I don't want... I don't want that shame heaped on me. It's what will lead to Peter then denying Jesus three times. I don't know Jesus. I'm not with him. (laughs) The psalmist says, my delight is in the saints of the land. My delight is in those who follow the way of the Lord. That's who I want to be with. That's who I don't want to disappoint. That's who my identity is with. Jesus says, if you try and go another way and save face or save your life, you'll lose it. But if you follow me and lose your life, you'll gain it. If you try to maintain your honor in the face of these leaders... You'll jeopardize your relationship with me. Which one matters more to you? There is a way that leads to refuge, and there is a way that leads to ruin. Both ways have suffering, and in one, the suffering grows, and in the other, the suffering heals. So the psalmist says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. And I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. There's, in the refuge of the Lord, there's a way, there's a guidance. And in the refuge of the Lord, there is safety. This is where this psalm begins. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And then in verse 9, he says, picking up this theme of safety again, my body also will rest secure. Doesn't that sound wonderful? (laughs) Hasn't it been hard for our, our bodies to rest secure this year? Our bodies, minds, emotions, we know they're all interconnected and intertwined, and when we have distressing emotions it adds stress to our bodies and when we have distressing thoughts it adds stress to our emotions and our body it's all related it's all interconnected our our liturgy teaches us that as we sit and stand and kneel and eat and drink while praying and worshiping and thinking and singing they're all interrelated a lot of people recommended to me a book that i haven't had a chance to read yet the body keeps score Some of you know this book, but it talks about how in healing, particularly from trauma, the the mind and the body are so interconnected. And in the challenges of life, just in general, and in the challenges of life this last year, hasn't it been hard to rest secure? Maybe you're feeling the strain on your mind and on your emotions and on your body. Maybe you're just feeling behind (laughs) when you need to catch up on all of those things. Um, The author of of the Body Heap Score, um, Bessel van der Kolk, um, writes, being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental and mean- to meaningful and satisfying lives. And yet what happens when you experience hard things or traumas is, is people become unsafe. And the author says the thing that you need most for healing, those safe connections become the thing that's hardest for you to enter into. That's kind of been true in this pandemic too. The thing we need most to feel safe is to be connected to people. And the thing that feels the most unsafe is to be physically closely connected to people, but we know that that physical connection is important for relational and emotional connection too. It's been really hard. We are longing for our bodies to rest secure. And in the refuge of the Lord, there is safety for every part of us in your relationship with the Lord and his people, the saints in the land, you can find that rest. How? What does the psalmist say in verse 10? Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me. Praise the Lord. In the refuge of the Lord, there's safety because he is with us. He's with us in this life, but he's with us in our death and in the next life. You will not abandon me to the grave, to the place of the dead. One of my kids is always afraid of being left out and left behind (laughs) in every situation. And I can't for the life of me think of a time that we like, we haven't lost him at the grocery store or um, he probably doesn't ever remember being in a grocery store (laughs) at this point. Um, He's just always worried like, don't leave me out, don't leave me behind, don't abandon me. Some of us have really been abandoned in different situations. And Jesus says in the refuge of the Lord, you will never be abandoned. Even when you close your eyes in death, you will not be abandoned. You don't have to fear. As Peter interacts with Jesus, he doesn't understand the refuge of the Lord or the way of the Lord in that Mark 8 passage. Jesus says to him, Peter, deny yourself, deny your own ways, deny who you're trying to impress. But later, Peter would not deny himself, he'd deny Jesus. Peter would choose his own way because it seemed so much safer than Jesus' way. The cross seemed so dangerous. And so Peter chooses safety over sacrifice and suffering. And guess what? His choice leads to more suffering. But Jesus would restore Peter. And Peter would be healed of that In relationship with Jesus Peter would be healed of that trauma and then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit would stand up on Pentecost and he would preach the first sermon of the church and he would turn to Psalm 16 to this Psalm and he'd say Jesus died on the cross and you can trust him you can trust that he is the way you can trust that he is the Messiah the Son of God because when he died The Father did not abandon him to the grave, but he raised him again to new life. And if the Father does that for Jesus, he will do it for you. And there is safety in the cross because at the cross of Christ, the inheritance of God, the provision of God for Jesus becomes yours. And in the cross of Christ, The way of Jesus, the way back into relationship with God is opened up again for you. He becomes in the cross a refuge of provision, a refuge of guidance. And because of the cross of Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Not anything that happens in this life, not anything that happens in the next, not even your death. The cross becomes our refuge because Jesus was not abandoned in the grave. And so neither will we be abandoned in the grave. Instead, Jesus is with us and in his presence, his joy and at his right hand is pleasure forevermore. When Jesus invites you to take up your cross, he's not just saying you should practice self-denial. Which is true, we need to do that sometimes. He's saying, here is how you enter into life. Because in Jesus, the way of the cross becomes the way of life. So that while we're suffering, he's redeeming. While we're sacrificing, he is giving his inheritance. While we are near his cross, he is pouring out the goodness and joy and eternal life that he won for us on his cross. So when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we enter into not merely suffering, we enter into suffering transformed to glory. In that Matthew uh, Mark 8 passage, Jesus is explaining this to the disciples. He says, I'm going to be rejected, you'll be rejected too. I'm going to suffer, you'll suffer too. I'm going to die, eventually you'll die too. And then I'm going to raise again on the third day. And they said, no, 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 you can't. we can't suffer, be rejected and die. Jesus just told them for the first time he was going to raise again on the third day. He just told them, my body's going to be dead and then come back to life. But they were so worried about suffering and death and rejection, they missed resurrection. When we take up our cross and follow Jesus, we do not lose our life. He saves it. When we take up our cross and follow Jesus, he becomes our portion and our cup. When we take up our cross and follow Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. When we take up our cross and follow Jesus, he does not abandon us to the grave, but he gives us his inheritance of eternal life. And when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, our present suffering does not compare to our future glory. When we take up the cross of Christ and follow Jesus, we are with Jesus. And in his presence, his fullness of joy. And at his right hand, is pleasure forevermore. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.